And so a lot of the time, we don't know what journeys we're on and we don't know what stories we're writing. And we have to trust our instinct and just put one foot in front of the other until we find ourselves at a place where we can look back and go, oh yeah, that's why I was doing this. That's why it was relevant. And I think that's what a lot of people don't get, either with their like corporate brand or professional brand. A lot of, a lot of NFPs uh, don't really uh, harness it the way they can because you've got to get personal with it. You know, it's got to be, what are we trying to do? Even if you're a huge Fortune 500 company, you have to go back to, what's the point? Welcome to episode 181 of Be The Drop, a weekly interview podcast sharing stories from inspirational people to help you learn how to tell your story. I'm Amelia Veal, Director at Narrative Marketing and firm believer in the superpower of storytelling. While stories can educate and connect us for a positive purpose, they can also be used to create negative impact. My guest this week is an authority not only on storytelling, but also on how to reshape stories that have been used to turn society, in his case, against the cannabis, plant and hemp products. Cormac Sheehan is a storyteller. As a Dubliner, it's in his blood. As founder of Purpose Communication, He's also a storyteller by profession. Cormac's journey has taken him all over the world, from Copenhagen to Mexico, and now Australia, where he's editor and chief of Green Planet, a magazine that provides education and advocacy around the cannabis plant and supporting industry. He's also co-founder and CMO of The Cannabis Company, which manufacts a multitude of hemp products, none of which can get you high. In episode 181 of Be The Drop, recorded live from Pawsfest, Cormac describes his amazing journey from DIY punk in Dublin to learning Spanish in Mexico and then setting up the cannabis company here in Australia. He reflects on challenging yourself to discover your purpose and provides tips on how to effectively use storytelling to change a pre-existing narrative. This is Cormac's version of Be The Drop. Are you considering starting a podcast? At Narrative Marketing, we deliver a full range of podcast production options. Or if you'd like help getting started to produce your own content, we also deliver podcast training programs. Hit the link in the show notes for more details. Cormac, thank you so much for joining me for our next episode of Be The Drop. Thank you for inviting me. Delighted to be here. As a way of getting a bit of context about you and your journey and what's brought you to the point of where you are now here today at Pause Fest, could you share with us a story that is something that really gives us some of those insights about you? Yeah, I certainly can. Um, so this story I'm thinking of starts back in 2008. And I had just finished my master's degree. Uh, the GFC had just happened. Um, and there wasn't really anything much happening in Dublin. Um, there was no jobs. All my friends were out of work and depressed. Um, so my band went on tour to Mexico. And after the tour, I decided to just stay there. And uh, this wasn't really planned. 
I, I'd previously moved to Copenhagen and lived there for a couple of years. So I naively thought uh, it was easy to move to Copenhagen. Uh, it'll be easy to move to Mexico. But there's a big difference between uh, Scandinavian social democracy where everyone speaks English and a corrupt third world country where nobody speaks English. So um, what I uh, quickly found was that everything there uh, was based on family connections, personal networks, um, I didn't speak Spanish, uh, I wasn't able to get a job, I was a teacher at the time and uh, a journalist and so um, I thought I'd easily be able to get work teaching English. Uh, that wasn't the case, couldn't find a place to live, um, tried really hard every, every avenue I could think of for about a month before I, I just realised this isn't working, I need to try something else. So I found up all these language schools in Oaxaca and one of them agreed to do a trade with me where I would teach English and then uh, they would give me intensive Spanish lessons. So luckily for me, they didn't take me up much on the English. I was just teaching advanced English learners um, for maybe an hour, hour and a half a day. But in return, I was getting um, five hours of intensive Spanish uh, tutorials, like one to one. So within a month, I got fairly fluent. Um, and then that led me down different paths where uh, I found myself in Chiapas um, working on a water irrigation project with an indigenous group called the Tzotzil. Um, and so they're very disenfranchised by the Mexican state, um, living in, in deep poverty. And they were subsistence farmers um, with no, no drinking water in their village. So this project was to bring potable water into the village. And it was, it was backbreaking work. It was just all by hand, digging trenches, removing boulders, putting down pipes. And it was only possible to get all the people in the village together to do that work maybe one day a week because they were subsistence farmers. They had to, if they didn't work, they didn't eat. And uh, their cash crop was coffee. So um, they had amazing coffee and they had a great story and uh, they didn't have a market. Like they could sell it very, very cheaply, far below its value to the uh, coffee dealers in San Cristobal, the um, capital of Chiapas. Um, and everything in Mexico works around money in brown envelopes and they didn't have the money for that so they were just cut out of the whole equation so um, this, this haunted me um, and my whole background is in the, the hardcore punk scene DIY punk um, and so uh, I at that stage business was the worst word in the world for me the, the you know worse than any four letter word just a, a directly related to capitalism and you know I was very against that so um, I, I started to realize that all the demonstrations and all the protests in the world could only get you so far uh, the only thing that really speaks to power is money um, economy and so I realized that if I really wanted to have an impact on things I needed to learn those skills so I moved to London uh, and I got a job at London Institute of Technology in English uh, teaching business English so I learned about business from teaching it uh, and I started to realise I had an aptitude for marketing uh, and I'd always loved it, you know, uh, deconstructing advertising and ads and saying that's a stupid ad and, and figuring out why I thought that, that's a great ad uh, and why. But I didn't want to work in the industry, you know, it's a, it's a pretty cold industry and I didn't want to be selling toothbrushes and things to people. So I um, moved to Australia in 2010. Uh, my wife is Australian. 
I couldn't stand London anymore. Said, let's let's give Melbourne a go. We'd been here for uh, her sister's wedding three years earlier, and it was great. So uh, came here, got a job with an organic chocolate company called Loving Earth. Um, they imported a lot of their ingredients from Mexico, so there was that connection. Also from Peru and other parts of South America. And I just, I, I was sick of teaching. Uh, there wasn't much money in music journalism that I was doing, so I just wanted something else. Wow, fantastic. What a journey you've really taken us through with that story. And I think your accent really adds into to the storytelling lilt. Um, so we'll take off from there then, purpose communications. And, you know, you have a, a, fo- a focus there that the story is at the centre of everything, which is obviously something that I'm very passionate about. And we talk a lot on the podcast around storytelling and being the ultimate, in my opinion, superpower. I like a bit of superpower. Uh, so tell me, what's your opinion then on why is story at the heart of it? And what does that mean in a business sense? Um, well, for me, story, storytelling is everything. Uh, marketing really is just storytelling. And um, a typical way to greet people in Dublin is people say, what's the story? Uh, or just shorten it to story. And so when I go home to Ireland, family members and friends slag me off telling me that I've lost my accent and so on. And they say, they go, how's it going? How's it going? And I'm like, oh, okay, what's the story? And then that's, uh, it's sort of at the heart. It's, it's a very Irish thing. Uh, Irish people are known for always talking a lot, uh, always chatting, always having stories. It's an oral history. And that goes back to um, pre, um, pre-written history. Um, there was a tradition of the Shanaki, who is basically the folk Google. They would know a bit about everything. And they'd go around and they'd tell stories. Uh, a lot of them were from the, the travelling, the traveller population in Ireland, uh, the gypsies there, um, who, who are very disenfranchised people. Um, and this was before modern communications. This is how news would travel. This is how stories would be recorded and shared. This, you know, a lot of our stories, we don't know them as we're living them. We only see them as a story in retrospect. So this story I just told you, I was just stumbling blindly through the darkness while I was going through that. It's only when I look back and go, how did I get here? That I go, oh yeah. And so a lot of the time, we don't know what journeys we're on and we don't know what stories we're writing. And we have to trust our instinct and just put one foot in front of the other until we find ourselves at a place where we can look back and go, oh yeah, that's why I was doing this. That's why it was relevant. And I think that's what a lot of people don't get, either with their like corporate brand or professional brand a lot of a lot of nfps uh, don't really uh, harness it the way they can because you got to get personal with it you know it's got to be what are we trying to do even if you're a huge fortune 500 company you have to go back to what's the point what are we doing are we just trying to maximize profits for shareholders because that's not a story worth telling you know you got to find out what's the change you're trying to make what's the story you're trying to tell and um, if you don't have a good story to tell, you better start changing what you're doing so that it's a story worth telling. Mm, I like that, so that it's a story worth telling. So then you also mentioned that it was this, you know, your journey that led you to a desire for ethical marketing and then into the Cannabis Co. I'm really interested in that as a storytelling and, and how to shape a narrative in as far as it's a controversial narrative. You know, there is lots of um, information that's coming out about the scientific use of cannabis, but there's also plenty around the drug use and the potential impacts that um, use of, of cannabis can have in a negative way through taking it as an illicit drug. 
So how do you go and create a story that needs to move beyond its current narrative? Well, that was uh, the interesting part of it because, you know, I had been watching these uh, developments in, the, in, in North America, uh, in the United States and Canada. I'd been touring a lot there with bands throughout the 2010s and seeing it develop, you know, in, in real time on the West Coast especially. Uh, and I never expected to see that, um, that conversation change in such a way. I didn't even know that it was a thing when I, I think it was 2011 or 2013, and there was just shops selling weed. And I was like, okay, and started looking into it and seeing how I could be involved in that. Um, but everything was uh, medical, um, which is, you know, if you don't already have lots of money, you can kind of forget about it. Um, if you want to invest in it, a lot, it's over-invested, it's oversubscribed, uh, especially here in Australia, because there isn't a market for it. So people are building these huge facilities and growing it, and they're not able to sell it. So the share prices are dropping. The last year has seen this huge drop in share prices of cannabis all, all over the whole world. Um, and the other side of the equation is uh, hemp, which is still telling the same story it was telling in the 60s and 70s. It's very outdated, very hippie, very much kind of, you should do this because it's the right thing to do, man, rather than you should do this because it's good, you know, because the stuff, the product is good, the material is good. So what we wanted to do was to... Um, tell the whole story. Uh, and that's why we called it the cannabis company. Because cannabis is the, the plant uh, itself, whether it's medical and psychoactive, the stuff that makes you feel high, or whether it's a material uh, like hemp, which doesn't have any psychoactive effect. So it doesn't, you know, you could smoke a whole field of it and it wouldn't do anything for you. Um, and people told us that it was too soon. You know, people weren't ready for that. But actually we found out that they really were. And I think a lot of that was because of storytelling. So what myself and uh, Dr. Dave did was we just wore our hearts on our sleeves. And Dave is a biochemist uh, in his 50s, with 25 years at University of Melbourne, a um, very well-respected man. And he was a lot of the reason why people were able to trust us. I was able to tell the stories and I was able to do the whole marketing side of it, but he was able to be the face of it and he was able to do the research as well that people could trust. And a really interesting thing in Australia is Australia is one of the highest uh, consumers of cannabis in the whole world. 35% um, of people over the age of 14 admit to having tried it at least once. Uh, one in 10 people use it regularly. Um, and so we were looking at these statistics and kind of going, there, there's a really big story here because people aren't talking about this. You know, if, if you're walking down the street, uh, one in three people statistically has used cannabis and is okay with that. But people don't, don't talk about it. So we had to um, present information and do so in a way that uh, took the spiky edges off it, while also acknowledging that uh, there are dangers there. And it's not this panacea that people treat it as. Uh, you know, there's a lot... It's the latest wellness craze, CBD. Everyone's talking about whatever is wrong with you. Uh, use CBD. And that's just not true. You know, it doesn't fix everything and it doesn't suit everyone. And then it's the usual story. You know, it's like whether it's being gluten free or whether it's uh, being a fruitarian or whatever you go. Yeah, you try it and you go, oh, that didn't make me feel different. So I don't know if I believe it. And then you become cynical. So what we did was make ourselves available on the phone, on email uh, to talk to anyone who had any questions even to do with things that weren't uh, products of ours, to try and put them in touch with um, 
companies who could be um, help them get medical access, get a prescription, and people responded really well because there weren't really other companies doing that. They were either going, no, no, we're, we're good cannabis, we're hemp, doesn't have any of the bad drug stuff, or they were going, no, we're medical cannabis, we're, we're for a pharmaceutical brand, uh, we're not involved with all those dirty hippie people and so on. When we were saying, no, it's everything. It's, uh, it can help in industry, with food, uh, with sustainability and environment, as medicine, as entertainment and recreation, and just kind of took on the whole plant. Mm. Well, and I think the people who haven't necessarily directly engaged with either one or would just assume it's everything anyway. Yeah, and um, there's a lot of... Or, or they can't tell the difference between the no. two. Yeah. They, they kind of think hemp, oh, that's wacky-backy, you know, that's the kind of thing that people get high on and so on. But um, there's so many, there's so much misinformation out there and that's on purpose. That is, has been a campaign over the last hundred years from... Uh, industrial interests to turn people against it and the original name for it in the United States is marijuana where before that it was known as hemp or known as cannabis but marijuana was taken from the South American word for it and that was after the Mexican-American war when they're using the oldest trick in the book blame the immigrants there was over a million Mexicans had moved to uh, the United States and that was just before um, the big crash of 1929 so when things started going wrong they started blaming the Mexicans and they started using the word marijuana to break down the barriers between hemp and cannabis and to go, it's all this bad thing, marijuana. And then that took off because industrialists who had threats to their uh, paper business, it's much um, more sustainable and efficient to make paper from hemp and cannabis than it is from trees. Um, People with uh, corn, uh, people with um, growing cotton, um, they, they were threatened by that, so they put money into um, turning it into this, this demonic kind of plant that mm. um, it's still a lot of people think it is today. Yeah, and it's interesting because you're really touching there about this disinformation and confusion that, I mean, storytelling can be great in the, in the ways that you've talked about, but it can also be used to control people, you know, and, and cult leaders use storytelling in an incredibly powerful way to bend people to their will. So, you know, how do we manage that? Well, it's interesting because, you know, we talk about the post-truth society now and you can see that in the media, in elections, in the United States, in Brexit, all these things where there's widespread lies. But something that you've, you've probably experienced yourself in your life is your first impression lasts. If you hear something first, it burrows down inside your head and you think that. So even if you find out later that it was a lie, you've had that emotional reaction to hearing it and you're going, oh my God, I can't believe that. And so that... That's always been there, you know, for for one way or another, people have abused um, the word and the story to uh, have their own selfish ends. Um, But now we're seeing it in a much more sophisticated way in that you can't really escape it because of the proliferation of technology and digital devices and digital media. It's around us all the time and it follows us because they have your device ID, they have your your data, and so they can see what you're clicking on and give you more uh, to have this confirmation bias that people like to hear it makes you go yeah I'm right Um, but it also I think represents an opportunity there was a very interesting talk earlier today uh, from Stephanie who works at Voice and she was talking about Gen Gen Z versus uh, how different their thought processes are uh, to uh, baby boomers to Gen X Gen Y 
And a lot of that is out of necessity that they've grown up in this connected digital internet world, which is sort of post-truth. So the sort of outlets that they follow and that they respond to are the ones who present uh, a different story and say, make your own mind up, because they know they're going to source their news from a lot of different sources, because they can't trust just one source, which is something that the rest of us have a much harder time doing, um, especially boomers, also uh, Gen X and Gen Y, because you know we know a bit now, don't trust everything you hear, but they, they've grown up with this, they know this intrinsically. And um, an interesting thing for me is this huge cynicism in Gen X and Gen Y, but uh, Gen Z doesn't have the same cynicism. There's a lot more hope and there's a lot more belief and it's easy to laugh at that and to take the piss out of it and just to um, be uh, belittle it. But I think that's going to be a big change we see over the next 10 years is people getting rid of cynicism and just going, yeah, I believe, I believe it. Yeah. And, and come up with their own stories and go, look, everything around us isn't telling me a positive, joyous, hopeful story. So I'm not going to... Uh, buy into that I'm going to look for other stories and this is something we need to do you know especially here in Australia probably a lot of people went through the same thing over Christmas with the fires it was miserable you know and I couldn't keep away from my my devices reading the stories and I just didn't want to because it was putting me in such a dark place but there were a lot of positive stories out there and we've seen after that um the work the government refuses to do the lack of leadership in this country people are filling that void with um, their own initiatives to donate, to create events, and it's bringing people together in a way that I haven't seen in this country before. Yeah, it's been incredible. I live in the Adelaide Hills, so we had fires around us in Kangaroo Island and obviously extreme tragedies, but um, amazing, incredible, heartwarming resilience and communities coming together and raising really substantial amounts of money, which is really good. Yeah, it's crazy to see the amount of money people have raised. Mm. And it's, again, it's getting back to an old way of talking to your neighbours. It's not necessarily the people who live beside you or on your street. It's, we now have these digital neighbours, people we can connect with. And you find out, no, a lot of people actually think the same as me. You know, they, uh, they do care. Like, I saw the other day, um, there's been, I've seen a lot of racism around the coronavirus uh, and people using that as an excuse to uh, reveal their, their prejudices against Chinese people. And someone wrote something uh, horrible on the side of a pharmacy um, near my friend's house that uh, was, was anti-Chinese. And he went home to get a bucket of paint to paint over it. And by the time he got back, someone else had painted over it already. And that's nice. You know, that's heartwarming to hear that people are doing that. Um, because as bad as tragedies can be, they do bring people together. And they make us see that this is, this is important and I'm not the only one who's scared about this. Mm, connects us in our shared human experience. All right. And just, I just want to quickly touch on, before we wrap up, you've also recently become the Editor-in-Chief for Green Planet. So that's a new embarkment. Can you quickly explain what that's about as well? Yeah. So Another you... storytelling platform. <laughs> So uh, Green Planet is a way of um, providing education and advocacy around cannabis and um, the plant to encourage people to get involved in the industry because there are a lot of people with, um, who just want to make money off it, financial interests. They don't really care about the social element of it. But I, I do believe that cannabis and hemp can solve a lot of our problems in this society from sustainability to mental health to... Um, 
food, uh, food shortages, um, the kind of things we're going to be seeing in, in a big way in this decade. So that's about uh, providing a platform to educate people and also to uh, look for more transparency in the industry. Um, and I've got a, a primer on uh, the industry in Australia that you can download if you go to greenplanet.com.au slash why. Oh, fantastic. All right, in conclusion, though, Cormac, can you just finalise um, by giving us your be the drop tip? So that's your tip for communication that motivates in, and inspires. Communication that motivates and inspires. This is a bit cheesy, but be yourself. Um, interrogate yourself. Look at yourself in the mirror for, for a long time and figure out what do I like? What has been a constant in my life since I was a child? What excited me then and still excites me now? And start getting into that. Start looking at that closer and going, do I have to do what I do? Do I have to um, do my job uh, that I currently have? Or could I consider an alternative career? And could I start it out of passion? Could I start it part time? And could I follow that? Because money doesn't make us happy. You know, meaningful existence, doing things that make you feel that you're making a meaningful contribution. That's what makes you happy. And if people can find that, it's within everyone. Everyone has that within them. And you just have to, to look for it. And it's not easy. It takes a long time. Like that story I told took me about 12 years. And, um, but just start at what you care about, what makes you feel, what makes you feel teary, you know, what makes your heart sing. And just go with that. Mm. And then that communication will come across as true. Yeah, because you're telling your story and your truth and there's more than one truth. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Cool, thank you. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Be The Drop. Don't forget to subscribe in order to ensure you never miss out on one of our weekly episodes. Be The Drop is produced by Narrative Marketing, where we believe that stories connect individuals and that powerful storytelling can positively impact the world. To unleash your storytelling superpower, visit narrativemarketing.com.au or check out our social links in the show notes. To contact me directly with any specific comments you have, you can email me via amelia at narrativemarketing.com.au. And don't forget that whilst a task or challenge may seem overwhelming, a waterfall begins with one drop and look what comes from that.